Morning, church. How are we doing today? In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Donald Whitney said this. He said, I heard of a story of a man who became a Christian during a gospel emphasis in a city in the Pacific Northwest. So when he got to work the next day, he told his boss about it, and his boss responded, Well, that's great. I'm a Christian too, and I have been praying for you for years. The new believer answered, Why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? You were the very reason, catch this, why I've not been interested in becoming a Christian. And the boss said, Whoa, 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 how can that be? I've done my very best to live a Christian life in front of you. The employee said, that's the point. You see, you live such a model life without telling me that it was Christ who empowered you to do that. So I figured if you can live a good moral and happy life without Jesus Christ, then so could I. You see, to spread the gospel and to make disciples, we need to both show and tell the message of the gospel. We must show people what the gospel does within the life of someone who surrenders to Jesus Christ. Yes, but we must also tell them what the gospel is. What exactly is the gospel? You see, the only reason we can have new life, the only reason we can have the abundant life, the only reason we can have peace or salvation is because Jesus Christ came as a man, took the cross, was dead and buried, rose on the third day, and because of that, now I have new life. And like the song says, it's the gospel that makes the way. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to Colossians chapter 4. Got about three more weeks of Colossians. And so let me just catch up real quick where we've been in Colossians. A couple of weeks ago, we learned about love being the most important virtue within our Christian walk. And it is the glue, we learned, that holds all the other Christian virtues together. Then we spoke about the Christian home and Christian families. And then last time we were in Colossians, we talked about Christian slaves, Christian employees, Christian employers, who are all instructed, every one of us, to do everything we do everything heartily for Christ. And so today, the Apostle Paul is going to encourage his readers to pray and take advantage of opportunities to spread the gospel. Pray and take advantage of those opportunities. So if you have your sermon notes there, Roman numeral one, earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. If your Bibles are open, Colossians chapter four, let's begin with verse two. The Apostle Paul says, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So the first word we read is continue. And when I read that, it's obvious to me that these followers at Colossae were being taught the importance of prayer. Continue in it. Prayer is so important. There in your notes, in Koine Greek, continue comes from the root meaning to be strong, which implies persistence, fervor, and earnestly speaks of a great effort speedily applied. In other words, stay faithful in prayer. Stay faithful with it. You see, prayer is such an unnatural activity, especially for those of us who think that we're self-made people. Prayer is so unnatural because 
by praying, it proves that we cannot do life on our own. And that we're looking to God rather than ourselves to give us what we need for life. Those of us who think we're self-made or those of us who think we're self-sufficient, prayer is the hardest thing to do. So prayer is essentially admitting, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'm seeking your power. By the way, it's also the main way, besides the Bible, of maintaining a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Steve Farrar said, spiritual anorexia is an aversion to reading the Bible. But he goes on to say that an aversion to prayer can also cause spiritual anorexia. Christianity is all about a personal relationship. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about religion. It's about me having a relationship with a holy God that I could never get to but Jesus. And my crazy question, I've asked this before, is how do you maintain a relationship with someone that you never have a conversation with? How can you? I mean, just picture that in a marriage. Think about this two-way communication that happens in a marriage and all of a sudden there is none. How long is that marriage going to make it? And by the way, here's a good lesson. Communication is two ways, right? Both listening and speaking. That's why God gave us two ears and only one mouth. Try using your ears and not your mouth. Charles Spurgeon said this, the condition of a church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings, not attendance on Sunday, by the way. So prayer is the grace-o-meter from which we may judge the amount of divine working within a specific church. There in your notes, Spurgeon said, if God be near a church, it must pray. If he not be there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. And then notice Paul adds, be vigilant or, or watchful with thanksgiving. I want to share a story of healing that Jesus gave in the Gospel of Luke. I thought it was fitting for this morning. Luke 17, 12, Jesus was telling this story and he says, Then as he entered a certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, catch it, so they all ten lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. So it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God, fell down at his feet giving him thanks, and he was, catch this, a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Hey, where's the other nine? Wasn't there ten of you guys? Verse 18, were there not any found who returned to give God glory except this foreigner, this Samaritan? You see, all ten had the same condition, leprosy. All ten of them. And that was a real painful disease. And, and worse than that, if you were a leper, you were completely cast out of society. You couldn't come around anyone. So you had all this pain. You were considered, I mean, lower than low. And can you imagine the humiliation? Well, Christian, how about for us this morning? 
Who were you? What was your condition prior to Christ? Ephesians 2 tells us very clearly that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. You weren't almost dead. You were dead. You were unclean. You couldn't approach a holy God. But Jesus took the cross. You had no access but Jesus. And so here in our story in Luke 17, all in the same position, all had the same thing, all of them prayed, all of them had the illness, right? But only one, only one returns being thankful for the cleansing. One man stopped and recognized what God has done. You know, our biggest problem is not when something huge happens because we're sure to thank God. You know, our problem is, is when small things happen and we fail to thank God. Because we think somehow that our safety seven days a week, 24-7, that safety, it just happened. We think that somehow the paycheck just happens. Because after all, I'm, I'm a good employee. We fail to thank God in the mundane things because we forget how good our God is. And so this man comes back and he uses the opportunity to sacrifice thanksgiving and praise. And I wonder how much of us fail to see our need to offer God thanksgiving and praise. In Christ, it's so awesome to know that I'm a child of the living God and I have all the rights of a child, a naturally born child of God, and I can boldly enter in any time I need to, but I need to remember that I was once alienated and I need to be thankful that I'm no longer alienated. And again, the nagging question, Where's the other nine? Imagine being an outcast. You couldn't even see your family. You couldn't have nothing to do with community. And all of a sudden you're cleansed and you go, hey, go on with life. Our power source, Christian, is the Holy Spirit in prayer. And the Bible's so full of accounts of, of praying men. And we think, you know, here's, we're in 2021 and we think, yeah, but those guys were heroes of the faith. They were giant men of the faith. So when they prayed, yeah, God answered them. But that would never happen for me. James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Goes on to say, Eliza was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What if we earnestly prayed for rain today? I think we need it. Right? Do we need a little rain here? There in your notes, Wright said, The connection here with Thanksgiving may suggest the threefold rhythm. Intercession, watching for answers to prayer, and then thanksgiving when the prayer answer comes. All right, so purpose of prayer, Roman numeral two. Look at verse three with me. Paul says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. You see, Every Christian, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, you need to have a vibrant prayer life 
for the gospel, not only here at Living Faith, but wherever the gospel is preached. And, and like so many things in our Christian walk, prayer can become repetitive, right? And it can even repeat itself and be redundant. But here Paul's praying for more than just general prayer. He, he's talking about, he's asking them, don't just pray in general. You know, I'll pray for you. Oh, God bless you, brother. I'll pray for you. God bless you, sister. I'll be praying for you. No, Paul's saying, hey, pray specifically that an open door may happen, that I may go and further the gospel. And, and Paul uses this analogy of an open door of opportunity in the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians in several places. Do you know the Lord almost challenges us to be specific in our prayers? And I got to wondering why that is. Why does God want us to be specific in our prayer life? And all I could think is so that when the answer comes, we can't just say, oh, that was a quinky dink, right? No, that was God. You know, if this didn't happen and that didn't happen and that didn't happen, it was God. The Apostle John in 1 John 5, 14 said, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, According to his will, there it is, he hears it. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. The word ask here destroys the idea that somehow I've got to come begging like I have no right to be here. Would you, could you kind of please? Oh, oh, that's not what John's talking about at all. The other side, the flip side of that is these people who are so disrespectful in prayer, they command the Holy Spirit or command God to do something. And that's when I want to kind of hide and watch because I think the lightning's coming. But the word ask also portrays like a supervisor. You're going to someone higher than you, but with all the rights in the world, specifically asking, knowing that I have a right to ask, but it is someone in authority. The writer of Hebrews in 4.16 said, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Boldly. That doesn't sound sheepishly to me. Boldly, because I'm a child. I am a child of the living king. You know, my kids, when they come over to my house and want to borrow a tool, I don't know until it's returned broken. <laughs> pull up in my driveway and go, hey, my pickup's missing. Hey, I, no problem. I know exactly where it is. But notice, if you're praying in line with God's will, the promise is he'll give it to you. When your will lines up with his will, he will give it to you. We pray, God, your will be done. Show me if my, if my desires are wrong. If I'm not lined up with what you want to do, God changed me. I'm not trying to change God. He knows better. Warren Wiersbe said, How much better it would be if we would pray for specific needs. By doing so, we would know when God answered and we would praise him for it. Perhaps it's our lack of faith that causes us to pray generally instead of specifically. And Paul's saying, be courageous. Be courageous. Again, not disrespectful, but courageous. I'm a child of God. He wants to answer my prayers. 
But then there's something else to notice here. And this is a good one for us there in your notes. Notice Paul did not pray for his own release from prison. Rather, he prayed the Lord would give him opportunities to proclaim Christ during his trial. How many of us, God, take me out of this situation. Take me out of this situation. And God's like, no. You know what I'm going to do while you're in that situation? Man, big and great things. You need a little trial. I got something planned. And we go, thank you, sir. May I have another? Paul was in prison because he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, the Jews were willing to hear Paul out. No problem. We'll hear you out all the way till he got to the point when he said, this gospel is for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. And all of a sudden that was it. He's, you're in jail. And, and Paul's concern for the salvation of the Gentiles is so great that he's saying, God, don't take me out of prison. Give me more opportunities to preach to the Gentiles. More and more and more. John Bunyan was arrested for preaching and he was put into prison. And they said, if you'll stop preaching, John, we'll let you out of prison. And this is what John Bunyan said. If I'm out of prison today, I will preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of God. <laughs> what do you do to a guy like that? What do you do to a guy that says that? We'll let you out if you'll just knock it off this Jesus stuff. Leave that Jesus stuff behind. He says, you let me out and tomorrow I'll be right back. <laughs> Sounds like Paul to me a little bit, right? When, when Paul was in prison, remember, he had a captive audience. And, you know, they thought they had Paul in prison. What they really had was the Roman guards in prison. Philippians 1.12 says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it's become evident to the whole palace guard, check this out, and to all the rest, that my, my chains are because of Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Remember, Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, and they would do shift changes. So imagine this. I get three victims a day. Three of them. Every time they do a shift change, he's like, here we go again. Notice what he said in Philippians. The whole palace guard got to hear the gospel. What difference do you think that made? You know, Paul himself is the one that wrote Romans 8, 28, that says, we know all things work together for good. And Paul's in prison, right? Me, I'm praying that God doesn't give me a prison ministry. Paul's praying, give me another guard. Two more, four more, eight more, let's go. He wanted to use that negative situation to further the gospel. Because he had an eternal perspective. He had an eternal perspective and he knew. So he's asking these people in Colossae, keep praying for these opportunities. Keep going. Pray that I get like six more years in prison. That's awesome. Whoever said that? You see, here, here's the, the lesson for me anyway, is in tough situations, I have to remember in whom I believed. I have to remember who put me in this situation. I, I have to tell myself that I am here for a reason. God has a purpose in the pain. God never wastes a tear or a trial in my life, never once. You know, during trials, maybe you're like me, maybe not, but during trials we whine, we wonder where God is, how he, could he do all this, and then we get a couple of years removed and we look back and go, wow, 
God was there the whole time and I just didn't know it. So in tough situations, remember God has a plan. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. Change your perspective. You know, this is also temporary. We hold on to temporary things like it means everything. And God's saying, hey, this is temporal. It's all going to burn. It will all burn someday. Take advantage of the opportunity. In verse 4, Paul is asking to make manifest or to know exactly what he should say to non-believers. Have you ever been in a meeting and sitting and talking to someone and in the back of your mind you're praying? You know, you're trying to listen, but you're praying, God, open the door, open the door, open their ears. Give me an opportunity. Show me the sign. Tell me when it's time. And all of a sudden, that person across from you says something and it opens the gates. And you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. I'm glad you asked. You know, and then you just get to just unleash the gospel on them. It's awesome. So Paul wants wisdom in speech. That's Roman numeral three. Look at verse five. Paul says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Then he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear, that's the reverence of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Both parts of that verse are very true. Wisdom is a gift from God, and fools despise it. Paul said in Ephesians 5.15, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Why? Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The enemy is so effective when it comes to temptations. He's so effective, he knows us because he's seen this picture before. And, and when you're not prepared, the enemy comes in and he can demolish us instantly. 1 Peter 5.8, so be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So in other words, exercise caution, be prepared. Have a good attitude. Walk in wisdom and just be prepared against pride and against all these other things. These bitterness things, being critical, all these things. Do you know sometimes our speech shows our heart better than anything else? We open our mouth, you think everything's cool and something comes out of your mouth and you can't even believe it came out of your own mouth. That ever happened to anybody else? No, it's just me. Okay. We can show off our behavior and show off our heart so much with our mouth. James said this, no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly passion. Yuck. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the image of God out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brethren this should not be this should not be and the more we grow into spirit-led believers the more we learn to tame that unruly evil that lives within our mouth there in your notes redeeming the time literally means to buy up something or to take advantage of the opportunity 
The same Greek word is used in Galatians 6.10, where Paul said, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. Opportunity is this Latin word that means towards the port. In other words, a ship would take advantage of the winds and the sails and everything to help get them home. Yesterday's gone, and tomorrow may never be mine, right? And so we make the most of the time today. When we get to heaven, we will never say, gee, I wish I would have watched a little more Oprah. That will never come out of your mouth, I guarantee it. But we need to be careful with our speech and take advantage of the opportunity of the gospel. Wright said, the word grace has, in English and in Greek, two possible double meanings. God's grace and man's graciousness. In verse 4 and 5, Paul seems to be talking specifically about the speech towards non-believers. But in verse 6, he seems to be saying, and be careful the way you talk to believers as well. Be careful. Robertson said, grace and salt make an ideal combination. Maybe you remember when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, we learned all about salt. And I want to touch on it again this morning because it's a good review and it's probably been six years. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how then shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing except for to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And of course, this is a simile, right? And I'm not going to give you an English lesson this morning, especially because I have a hard time with the English language. But it's a simile. And, but Jesus is teaching that believers, you have some of the same qualities, or should have, of salt. Guzik said, disciples are like salt because they're precious. And in Jesus' day, it was a precious commodity. In fact, Roman soldiers were often paid with salt, and that's where we get the saying, worth their salt, right? That's where we get that from. But the world is filled with evil and all kinds of spiritual rottenness and, and decay and pollution. And we live in this sinful world, and so Jesus says, so you should be salt in a rotten world. Why? A, there in your notes, because salt preserves Salt is a preserving agent. Think about this for spoiling and rotting meat. I mean, you know, back then without refrigeration, if you had some leftover deer after you got that, you know, 10-point buck, you would then salt it, right? And that's where we get jerky from today. Thank you so much. <laughs> but salt kills bacteria. And so when Jesus said you are like salt, he's saying a Christ follower should have influence in an evil world. You know, you think about anywhere in the world where the Christian influence was pulled out. And, and think about how quickly that society rotted away. Think of the former Soviet Union. When they outlawed Christianity, think about how far they diminished under that dark communist regime. <laughs> so as long as... Christianity strong in a culture, right? You just see the influence. You see it. But then B, salt purifies. Salt is a cathartic agent. You ever do this? 
Like you got a cut and you don't even know it, and all of a sudden you get salt in it? Boy, howdy, do you find that cut quick like and in a hurry. Ah, that's because it purifies the wound. Jesus said we're just like salt because we're a purifying agent in the world as well. Listen to what Donald Bloch said in his theological notebook. He said, we're not called to be honey to the world, which I thought was crazy, but we're called to be the salt of the earth. Salt stings. Salt stings an open wound. But it also saves someone from gangrene. You know, we're called to speak the truth in love. And I know personally, I have been called a bigot and judgmental and all these different things because I simply said something the Bible says. Yeah, did that ever happened to you? Right? You're judging me. I'm not judging you at all. I'm simply reading a verse. Right? But at the same time, we're called to do it in love. But we're not called to be the honey. People got to see something different. If we look just like the world, who needs us? Who needs Christ? Sometimes your most loving words will sting. They just will. There in your notes, Oswald Chambers said, The disciples of Jesus preserve society from corruption. The salt causes excessive irritation, which spells persecution for the saint. All right, C. Salt provides flavor. The man or woman who lives their life relying on the Lord not only acts as a preserving agent, a purifying agent, but they add flavor to the world. Flavor. You see, we're not called to be passive when it comes to the gospel. We're not called to be the know-it-all either. You know, that guy who sits in small group knows everything, or the guy who goes out and wants to, you know, have you ever lied in your life? What does that make you? A liar! No, no, no. Not obnoxious, but we're not called to be passive either. Our mission is to provide and permeate this world with the flavor of Jesus Christ. And D, what does that cause? Salt causes thirst. Uh, again, if we're living sold out to Christ, we're going to stimulate a thirst and a hunger in other people. Sermon on the Mount, again, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There in your notes, the Lord tells us we should hunger and thirst for things He can offer that will satisfy our deepest cravings. The person with that deep hunger for Jesus Christ causes others to have a deep hunger and thirst too because they want what we have. They want that overflow that's just coming out of us. It just seems so natural and it comes from the Lord and I want that as transformed individual Christ followers, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have an influence and we should use it. Our presence here should have an effect on the world. So practically, Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, by the way that God prepared way beforehand that you should walk in them. Now imagine as God's creating, he's, he's thinking of you and, and what you ought to be doing. And he's got it all planned out. And he equips you and enables you to do what he's called you to do. You see, God will never call you, 
ever call you to do something that he won't equip you to do. And, and so what a comfort to know that my life was planned out before the beginning of time. Now, sure, he's allowed me to take some lefts and rights, but he's always been there on the road waiting for me to come back. And I got a plan for you, son. Let's reread these verses real quick. Paul says, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in them with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This is what Max Licato said in his devotional. He said, today I'm going to make a difference. I'll begin by controlling my thoughts. Today I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be grateful for the 24 hours that God has given me. Time is a precious commodity. I refuse to allow what little time I have to be contaminated by self-pity or anxiety or boredom. I will face this day with the joy of a child and the courage of a giant. While it is here, I will use it for loving and giving. Today, I will make a difference. There in your notes, Paul encouraged these Christians in Colossae to pray for and take advantage of opportunities for ourselves and others in order to share the gospel. How's that look? Earnestly pray with a purpose and thanksgiving. Pray for the right words to speak. Walk in wisdom. Take advantage of the time. Take advantage of the opportunity. And let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. Every Christ follower needs a vibrant prayer life. If you lack in your prayer life, and you wonder why your walk and relationship so cold, there's no mystery. The mystery is solved. And you know, I don't know about you, but when I begin to pray, it's always that time that thoughts from like the fifth grade come back. <laughs> that ever happened to you? I mean, you stop, you take a deep breath, you get in the zone, you're right there about ready to pray, and all of a sudden the to-do list comes up, or this joke from fifth grade, or anything else, right? It's just distraction after distraction after distraction. Well, that's part of the enemy's ploy. That's part of his plan. But greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. And it's at those times when that begins to happen, I know God wants to do something, and I stop right in my tracks, and that's what I begin to pray. God, give me clarity of mind. Help me to capture this thought. Take this thought captive to the obedience of Christ right now. Because I know you want to meet with me more than I want to meet with you. And these thoughts and these distractions and this garbage, I don't know what I did to allow it in, but God, take it from me and now let's get serious in prayer. And I'm telling you, it works for me. Maybe something else works for you, but having that time of just hearing God, just, just spending some time hanging out, it's so cool. You know, in the morning, I got these prayers. You know, I pray for my family. I pray for my church. I pray for the elders. I pray for my government. I pray for all these things, and it almost seems like a laundry list. That's not the time that I get serious with God in prayer. That's more of the time like, God, I need you to handle all these things. 
But it, it's those moments, those quiet times where I could just kind of lay back and hang out. It's so cool. And we need those times. That's how we grow. We grow to know him more and watch. And if you pray with purpose and you specifically ask, we can kind of watch and see when God answers and know that he is faithful because he loves us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. There's going to be some elders and their wives in the back who'd love to pray with you. Speaking of prayer. And, you know, if, if you've got something on your heart, it's amazing to me how I hear things secondhand, thirdhand. Why didn't you go visit them in the hospital? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't My crystal ball is broke, just in case you want to know. If we don't know... We can't pray for you. And it's such a privilege to pray and watch God answer so many things. So if you've got a prayer request this morning, please come pray with us. We'd love to pray with you. Speaking of that, let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed.